1: Welcome back to Live Mike. I am Lee Lonsberry. During the commercial break, uh, something fascinating took place. The president uh, addressing the media from the White House briefing room alongside all the rest of the members of the coronavirus task force, which he has assembled. He, he just said something absolutely fascinating. He said, first time, maybe the only time you'll ever hear this, he said the media, get this, he says the media has throughout uh, this coronavirus pandemic and its coverage." President Trump has said the media has been very fair. Let's listen to a, a bit more of the president here.
2: July. The guidelines are a 15-day trial guidelines. This is if Dr. Tony Fauci from the National Institutes isn't of Health. It that these guidelines are now going to be in effect until July. What the president was saying is that the trajectory of the outbreak may go till then. Make sure we don't think that these are is solid in stone until July. Yeah. That would be the outside number. Mr.
3: President, President,
2: you could criticize. one second. Please, go
0: ahead. Mr. follow up, um, Senate Republicans, do you want Senate Republicans to change the package that passed the
1: House last week? I think they may make it even
2: better. Look, they're working together very well with the House. They're working very much in unison, like the question before. Uh, They're working uh, to uh, only enhance it and make it better and make it fair for everybody and that's what we're looking to do so we may go back and forth with the house a little bit but both will be in a very positive fashion please
0: yeah, Mr. Mr. President, um, these new guidelines say avoid social gatherings and groups of more than 10 people the cdc's recommendations yesterday were for uh, people to avoid gatherings um, of more than 50 people what's evolved and in- you and your teams thinking in just the past 24 hours, um, and also, what exactly do you need to see in a stimulus? Well, field? let
2: me just have the professionals answer that. Uh, would Great. you like to do that? Great,
0: yes. thank you, and thank you for that question. So, we have been working on models um, day and night around the globe to really predict, um, because some countries in our very early stage, like the United States, we've been working with groups in the United Kingdom. So, we had new information coming out from a model, and that. What had the biggest impact in the model is social distancing, small groups, not going in public, in large groups. But the most important thing was if one person in the household became infected, the whole household self-quarantine for 14 days. Because that stops 100% of the transmission outside of the household. And as we talked about early on, it's silent. We had another silent epidemic, HIV. And I just want to recognize the HIV epidemic was solved by the community. The HIV advocates and activists who stood up when no one was listening and got everyone's attention. We're asking that same sense of community to come together and stand up against this virus. And if everybody in America does what we ask for over the next 15 days we will see a dramatic difference and we won't have to worry about the ventilators and we won't have to worry about the ICU beds because we won't have our elderly and our people at the greatest risk having to be hospitalized. That's Dr. Deborah
1: Burks, who's the White House Coronavirus Response Coordinator. Uh, she has added a new piece of advice to uh, the long list of advice we've been given from these experts and others, and it is to if one member Of a household is tested positive for the coronavirus. The instruction from, again, Dr. Deborah Burks, White House Coronavirus Response Coordinator, is that the entire household self quarantine for 14 days. After 14 days, uh, no longer a risk to the community. I heard an interesting thing over the weekend, and it had to do with uh, really like the paradigm or the way that you think about this circumstance as we try to uh, help one another. And it is to uh, think not as if you are trying to avoid contracting the virus, but rather consider uh, yourself already having contracted it and that your behavior ought be intended uh, to prevent the spread of of the virus that you have to others. Does that make sense? So if we think more about protecting others from what we may be carrying ourselves, uh, that would go a long way. And this new recommendation of limiting our interactions to social groups less than 10 individuals, that makes sense. That's evolved a bit. Dr. Uh, Deborah Burks explained a, a bit of that as they have analyzed models that have been successful around the world. The advice is, as we've learned in this press conference, that uh, we are to avoid groups of over uh, 10, to cut back on discretionary travel. Piece of news shared with us by the president is that uh, they have entered into phase one development for vaccine, that started here in the United States. Now, uh, reality is that uh, even at phase one, we still could be a year or 18 months uh, away from. a a proven and accepted vaccine to combat this virus. Uh, But that step, the one announced by the president, is very positive and very encouraging. Now, let's take a step backwards and look at some of the advice that's been handed down. And I use that word intentionally, advice. For the most part, it is government that is heading up these uh, task forces. forces. For the overwhelming majority of instances around the country, it is government who is suggesting that schools close down, recommending uh, that restaurants limit access to their dining areas. And if you pay close attention to the language, everything is being done in terms of recommendations and suggestions and advice and advisories. In fact, most recently here this morning, we learned that uh, Uinta County, Uh, has advised a travel limitation, that if you uh, don't need to leave or enter the county, that you don't do so. That was an advice, or an advisory rather. Nowhere have we yet seen the compulsory quarantine of individuals. We have not yet seen mandated, government mandated curfews. And I've been keeping my ears open uh, for that. I've been keeping my ears open, in particular last week when the president had declared a national emergency. I wondered if he would call upon any of his executive authorities or if he would uh, make any of them known. I'm not aware of any, uh, but uh, where we would, in a compulsory sense, uh, have to get back in our homes at a certain hour of the day or limit our movements or very essentially have some of uh, our rights restricted. That question uh, got me talking to some folks here in the newsroom. Ultimately, I made a phone call over to my friends at the Sutherland Institute. That's a think tank down the street. Uh, real smart folks over there. And Derek Monson, vice president of policy, responded. And uh, he and I got chatting back and forth a little bit via email. I'd like to continue that conversation now uh, with Mr. Monson, who joins us on the line. Derek, sir, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Lee. Thanks for having me. Uh, you staying healthy? You washing your hands? You taking all the advice?
3: Yeah, yeah. We uh actually have kind of implemented a temporary kind of working at home kind of situation and uh you know obviously there's there's some really critical we can go into the office and that's okay. We're a small organization, so uh, but, yeah, we're doing what we can.
1: Outstanding. Uh, as, you know, kind of continuing the, the little rant I just went on there, talking about uh, some of the advice that's been handed down uh, by the government at various levels, and you compare that advice to, say, uh, our rights, uh, what thoughts jump to mind? How do you respond to that? What do you think of it along those lines?
3: Well, to me, it's really it's kind of a hopeful sign that our system is, is working, right? I mean... You know, we're not not China where it's expected that the government's going to come in and just take over everything, Uh, and we're, you know, it's America where we actually like to work with each other and cooperate in a private, voluntary way, and so our system is set up to look at situations like this and empower the government to take action when it's, you know, certainly uh, urgent uh, in the case of, of coronavirus, but still, work with people rather than, than, if not against them, you know, imposing our will upon them to to help people figure this out in a voluntary way that actually leads to the kinds of solutions we need. Because oftentimes, you know, when you impose something on them, people might respond out of, you know, I just don't like that feel of being told what to do and that it can do things you don't want them to do. Whereas if it's a voluntary thing, people tend to be good, want to cooperate and, and help each other out.
1: I agree 100%. And that sense of community and being uh, a partner and not an adversary to uh, these various task forces, uh, I think it gives us a little bit of ownership for the success. If you uh, are told to do something and uh, there eventually is some sort of outcome, because you felt compelled to take the action, you don't have responsibility for the outcome. And uh, if we maintain this, if we keep doing our part uh, and taking the advice, not necessarily the mandated decisions uh, of the government, if we take the, the good advice and trust where it's coming from or at least trust the rationale behind it, if it m- makes good common sense to us, uh, then I think the ultimately uh, the, the outcome will be one uh, where we can take uh, some responsibility and we can feel proud of our behavior having contributed to uh, ultimately a good outcome here.
3: That's right. And I think it actually also creates the hope that we can actually do things above and beyond what the bare minimum might be. So just hypothetically to illustrate, if the government came in and said to a family or an individual, you cannot leave your home and broadcasted that because that's you know what the government decision is, who's going to be willing to go and step into that home to help out when say they might need some food, they might need something, it sends a stigma around that around that person, around that house to stay away from them, right? They shouldn't whereas on the other hand, if it's a voluntary situation you know, uh, I, and I'm not saying in the other situation nobody would help. I think people probably would, but the number of people I think will be less than if it was a voluntary situation. And you know somebody is self-quarantining, and so you step up to help your neighbor because, hey, you know, that's what we do, and I don't feel this. Oh, am I breaking some lock, Cause the government said this person's supposed to be in the... You know what I mean? It just, it just sure. changes the, the thought process and really is a reflection of what America, I think, and in the state of Utah, for that matter, is at its best, which is... Voluntarily doing things in a community-based way that includes the government, but is not primarily driven by the government and allows us to accomplish things that we wouldn't be able to do otherwise.
1: Yeah. Uh, We're speaking with Derek Monson, vice president of policy at the Sutherland Institute, uh, talking very basically about this, uh, the types of advice uh, and the bits of recommendations handed down by the various task force, task forces uh, put together by various governmental entities at at numerous levels. Right now, uh, there's a press conference uh, being hosted by the president. He is uh, flanked by the various members of this task force. uh, And we have gotten certain uh, directives from uh, the president here in the state of Utah. We've gotten that type of stuff as well. All of it, though, thus far has been handed down and disseminated uh, by mode of. Uh, Advice or recommendation or advisory, not yet compulsory. We haven't committed any crimes if we go against uh, some of this advice quite yet. And uh, for me, uh, that feels good. I am pleased that that is the case, and I am pleased and encouraged by uh, my fellow Utahns and fellow Americans uh, for taking this seriously, taking this advice seriously, and sharing in the responsibility for bringing this coronavirus uh, threat, at least Uh, to an end here in the state. Derek Monson, grateful to you for your time. Uh, Let's look for other opportunities to chat, all right? Sounds great, Lee. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're going to return briefly to this press conference playing out in the White House briefing room uh, right now. The president is talking about uh, testing, uh, timeline, and a vaccine.
0: And being a bubble to avoid the spread of the disease and to protect the chain of command. Is that something you and the vice president should be doing? And has there been any talk about having to have a 25th Amendment? Well, we haven't place? thought of
2: it. But, you know, I will say this, that uh, uh, it's uh, we're very careful. We're very careful with, with, you know, being together. Even the people behind me are, are very they've been very strongly tested. I've been very strongly tested. And we have to be very careful, but everybody should be vigilant. We have to be vigilant. Okay. Yep, Thank you, Mr. President. Two simple sorry, questions sorry, for you, Mr. President. Mr. President. Go ahead, please. Mr. President. Two, two Mr. simple questions for you, Mr.
3: President. I don't know if this is a question for you or for Dr. Burke, but Dr. Burke said that it is the millennials who are going to lead us through this and that now is the time to look out for the older people in our home. Older might be a state of mind, not necessarily an age, so for those Millennials of us who have parents who are in their 50s, 60s, 70s, what is older? What should we tell them at this point?
0: Well, if I was Dr. Fauci, I would tell you there's a physiologic age and a numerical age. Um, So older people with pre-existing conditions, um, and what do we mean by that? You know, significant heart disease, significant kidney disease, significant lung disease, any immunosuppression, any recent treatment for cancer, any of those pieces in any household. Now, why do I think the millennials are the key? Because they're the ones that are out and about. And they're the most likely to be in social gatherings. And they're the most likely to be the least symptomatic. And I think we've always heard about the greatest generation. We're protecting the greatest generation right now and the children of the greatest generation. And I think the millennials can help us tremendously by having, plus they need to communicate with each other. Public health people like myself don't always come out with compelling and exciting messages that a 25 to 35 year old may find interesting and something that will take to heart. But millennials can speak to one another about how important it is in this moment to protect all of the people. Now, you could be 40 and have a significant medical condition and be of substantial risk. You could be 30 and having come through Hodgkin's disease or non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and be of a significant risk. So there are risk groups in every age group, but the age, there's more millennials now than any other cohort, and they can help us at this moment.
1: Uh, That's uh, Dr. Deborah Burke serving as the White House Coronavirus Response Coordinator. Uh, She is a fascinating individual. Earlier during one of the responses she gave to this question uh, in this press conference being hosted in the White House press briefing room, she made reference to the HIV epidemic, uh, which uh, made its way through the United States in the 1980s. Uh, She was being very humble in that reference because she was on the front lines uh, of that fight against the HIV virus. It was the early 80s. She was fresh out of medical school, and she was in the thick of it uh, for a time working as a U.S. Army physician, uh, helping uh, young men who were dying in droves from an illness that at the time no one could name. I want to spend some time sharing with you some of her biography later on so that you know uh, who it is Uh, serving the president on this task force right now as we combat this unprecedented coronavirus. Uh, Another point I would uh, make to you is that uh, politics uh, never sleeps, all right? And it is feeling the impact of this coronavirus itself. The uh, various state conventions, which are upcoming on the calendar here in the state of Utah are being impacted pretty significantly. Next up, we're going to be speaking with Derek Brown, chairman of the Utah Republican Party, uh, to get uh, an update from him on what's happening with his convention and his caucuses. That's all ahead here on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio.